Blog Talk Radio. Join the conversation on the Ask Sharifa AMA. Ask Me Anything, where Sharifa Hardy and expert guests answer your questions. Press 1 to join the conversation, where we discuss your favorite topics from love, family, politics, career, business, intuition, spirituality, and more. To be a guest on the Ask Sharifa AMA or for advertising opportunities, visit our website at AskSharifa.com. And now your host, Sharifa Hardy. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Ask Sharifa AMA. We're going to get started on today's show, but before we do, we're going to invite you to Facebook the show, post the show, tweet out the show, send a message to your friends and let them know that Ask Sharifa AMA is live on the air If you're listening to the show on your computer and you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to give us a call at 563-999-3603. Again, that number is 563-999-3603. And if you're listening to the show live and you have a question or a comment for today's guest, please feel free to press 1. And today's guest is none other than the most fabulous, amazing, wonderful Torin Lee, who is discussing, yes, the power of intention with us this morning. Good morning, Torin. How are you? Good morning, Sharifa. I'm well. Thank you. Well, you are welcome. Thank you for joining us in the studio. We have so much to discuss, but we want to start off a little bit with you are a certified skills for change coach. Is that correct? I am. I am. Um, I actually took my coaching certification um, from a school up in the Berkeley, Northern California area, and Skills for Change, basically, why I chose that certification over the wonderful many others after a search of five years actually looking for the right program many years ago, was that they actually have a lot of social psychology and somatic psychology in their program, so it talked a lot about spirituality as well as how our emotions are stored in the body. And as well as um, Skills for Change methodology also teaches about how where you are in society and the power structure, how that impacts your life decisions, options. So I thought that was unique as well. And when you say where you are in society, how that affects um, your life or the power structure, what does that mean? So it, um, the methodology deals a lot with, like, um, studying historical oppression, and I don't just mean, you know, historical oppression, like, in the traditional sense, you know, slavery, this and that, but basically the balance of power in any given relationship. So it could either be in the historical context, like, so perhaps you belong to a demographic group, women, people of color, the obvious ones, you know, that we learn about in history class and how where you are in that power structure affects how you perceive life and the power that's easily accessible to you, but it also deals with being able to help clients and yourself identify in any given relationship what the power structure and dynamic is, because in order to create actual meaningful dialogue and connection, sometimes that the power struggle gets in the way. So if you can define it and recognize it right away, then it helps you communicate better with those you're in relationship with. Oh, wow. And so on top of all of the skills for change, you're also a Reiki master. 
I am, I am, because it goes back to that, maybe about five years ago, it goes back to the, so I studied all this somatic psychology, I use that in my coaching methodology and practice, energy and emotions are stored in the body, then I was like, oh, well, I need to learn some methodology or, you know, um, way to help people balance this energy that's stored in their body, right? So I kind of initially looked at massage school, which I'm also a trained body worker, but I don't really do that anymore, and um I was like, yeah, Reiki kind of spoke to me, the whole, you know, balancing of energy centers and learning about chakras. So I do a lot of integrative therapies with my coaching clients. Oh, wow. Now, was there some moment in your life that just caused an awakening to to make you really search out this journey? Yeah, I would say my path was kind of crooked in some ways, but the main one was about, I think it's almost 13 years ago now. I was at a wedding with my husband at the time in Colorado, and literally I got hit on the head by a boat that fell off of the ceiling and almost killed me. And (laughs) I know it sounds strange. It was an 80-pound wooden kayak in a ski lodge in Colorado. And up until that point, I'd had this great uh, career in corporate communications. I thought I loved my job. Um, I was very successful. You know, all those normal things of success, making good money, traveling the world, it seemed. But I always had felt something was missing, like I wasn't exactly fulfilling my calling. And then I got hit in of this kayak. I was sick for a while. I ended up moving to Australia and had to stop working for nine, ten months. And so that was when I was like, you know, there's got to be something else that I'm supposed to be doing. And along those lines, I'd always, in my corporate life, people had always kept asking me for advice. So, you know, I'd go into a meeting, and before the meeting, some random department head would be like, hey, my kid's having this problem. What do you think about that? You know, and I'd always be like, I don't actually know, Bob. Like, I'm the communications person. Like, you know, but people my whole life had always asked me for advice. So I had always just done that kind of just naturally as who I was. So I thought, maybe this is a way I can be of service, and perhaps I should be using that. So After the boat fell on my head and I had to stop my life by force for a while to heal my body, um, yeah, that was my epiphany of, you know, I should be figuring out how I'm supposed to be integrating this into my life. Wow. Now, that was an awakening for a boat to literally fall on your head for you to go on another path. But there's always usually a defining moment where people go, okay, this is not for me. Or they see something and they say, okay, you know what, I really like to explore this avenue. Usually, again, it's not the boat falling on her head, but usually it's that (laughs) defining moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think there were many signs. Um, I'm sure lots of people in your audience are uh, believers in signs, whatever that means to them. There were many signs before the boat fell on my head, but I used to be quite a stubborn person, we'll say. So, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'll get to that eventually. And I think literally it was the universe being like, you need to stop. You need to evaluate what you're doing versus what you should be doing. And if it's truly feeding your soul and you're truly using the gifts that the creator gave you. So, yeah, I literally had to get stopped by having a boat fall on my head. Hopefully Mm. for those listening, your epiphany is less (laughs) violent and dramatic. (laughs) It doesn't take a boat falling on your head to to get everyone's attention. So, um, (laughs) okay. So the boat fell on your head, and then you were um, healing for about nine to ten months. 
what did you do during this period of time to start your journey? Did you all of a sudden do more meditation? Were you doing more research? How did you start the, the journey? Well, I started, I, so at this time, I couldn't drive in a car without getting physically ill. Um, I had to move to Australia because my husband at the time worked for uh, the government. So we got moved to Australia. So I was away from people I knew, didn't know anybody in a strange country. So yeah, I actually went back to, believe it or not, and started reading all of these books. Most of them were about spirituality, you know, how to choose your life path, like this guru, that guru. I went back to meditation, like all of these things. I started reading up on essential oils, like all of these things that I had dabbled in, let's say, when I was at university. And, you know, with no job and, hey, you're supposed to just rest most of the day. Yeah, I really dove into sort of going back to my own version of college and figuring out why were these things always, you know, around me and I was always interested in them. And then I also, when I started doing that and meditating more, I started having more lucid dreams. And I would wake up remembering these dreams where it would be like, um, like my grandmother who I was very close to or a grandfather who had passed like sending me messages in these dreams about you should be helping people. You should be showing people their path forward. You should be, you know, and they'd be showing me like all these things I could be doing instead of the corporate work that I had been doing. So that was kind of what started it literally physically having to stop and then delving into, you know, all the knowledge of things that I had known about, but had sort of put aside for a number of years. Mm. So what you do now when working with people is helping them find their path. Yeah, yeah. I find that, um, which having, after hearing the boat story, this might not surprise you, but I find that the people who come into my practice or find me when they need a partner to help them find their path forward are always just coming out of some sort of crisis or major transformation. And um, when I first launched my coaching practice like six, seven years ago, you know, full time, I thought, well, why is this? Like, why are all these trauma crisis people coming to me? And, you know, I feel like we each just have energy that, you know, we send out to the universe, whether we want it to be that or not. And so those are the people, that's when they find me. And um, it's been that way since I was like 11. I think the first time I dealt with somebody or sort of coached, which I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time at all, was in middle school when I had gone to a new school and I came into the bathroom like the first day and there was a young lady in there trying to slit her wrist in the bathroom. So oh, wow. that was the first time I sort of talked somebody out of a traumatic situation. I, I was the kid that if my parents would leave me sitting at a bus or the train station to go to the bathroom, like that strange adult would come sit next to me and start telling me their life story. Like that kind of thing had always been part of my life. And it was always when they were in tears or something really dramatic had happened. So when I first started coaching people, I was, before I started reflecting on that, it seemed kind of strange, but now that's when people tend to find me. And that's actually, that's when I enjoy working with people because I've had quite a bit of traumas and crisis kind of in my own life. And, you know, I get it. Sometimes you just need somebody to hear your story, honor it. And you also need somebody that can see the light ahead when you can't see the light. So I try to be the light or light a light for people when they're in a place when they can't see it for themselves just yet. Okay, so when people seek out your services and work with you, some of the things or aspects that they can um, expect from a coaching session with you. Ah, um, first, you got to share their story, you know. So I start with, uh, you know, tell me your story. And I, I let them start wherever they feel comfortable starting their story. And usually there's 
more story behind the story, right? Because if they come for the crisis or the trauma, it's like, my mom died and that's my story, you know? So we go back to, that's not actually your whole story, but we'll start with that part of the story. Um, And when you, um, how people choose to tell their story can tell you a lot about them, right? Particularly whether they use negative or positive words, whether they use things like always or I never, you know, words that are lacking or or lean towards scarcity versus words that sort of lean towards or hint towards abundance. So that usually can tell me a lot in the beginning, actually the first consultation with my clients where they're at as far as their story, you know, cause we all are, you know, around the power of intention and what we can do. We all are, can be, our intentions are reality, right? So if our current reality that we're creating is lack and scarcity, then that's what our life is going to present to us. Whereas if we can get to the point where we can flip our script to a narrative that's more abundance-based, right, then we will end up with a more abundant reality. So that's basically why the storytelling is important. So can you give us an example of um, what you mean by the positive and the negative aspect of telling their their story? So positive versus negative words. So let's say um, someone might say, I, I've never had very much money. Okay. That actually may be a fact you know, that they financially are ne- or have never been that wealthy. But if they always talk about money in terms of never, haven't had, and like negative words versus, you know, I currently don't have as many financial resources as I would like, but, and then add the, I am open to, you know, the abundance that could come in the future, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just a little bit of a flip of a script of how you think of every situation that can take you immediately from positive to negative because the negative part of how we tell our story and our narrative actually just hints at it's limiting beliefs, right? So one of the things about setting positive intention and setting a powerful intention for yourself is the first step is you have to limit or release or let go of limited limiting beliefs. And so limiting beliefs are phrases like I never, I can't, you know, all those, aren't going to happen words versus these could be possible words. So when I work with clients and they start telling me their story, you know, I initially can sort of glean where they have limiting beliefs. And so that's usually where we start the work of finding them a positive path forward is helping them release limiting beliefs. Mm. So I know the the boat fell on your head, but aside from the boat (laughs) falling on your head, how did you come to, the, I mean, it just it just seems like so much information from this one experience. So, I mean, how did you really just latch on to the positive and negative beliefs and make it lasting changes and make lasting changes? Well, yeah. So I actually, in hindsight, um, I actually was raised by people who I would call were um, optimists cloaked in realism, right? So, you know, I had a granddad who lived with me my whole entire childhood after my grandmother had passed. So he was like a second father and my father. And when I was looking back and thinking about my childhood, actually, just recently, I was like, you know, I grew up in a household where they may not have called it the power of intention and not having limited beliefs and all these things because they didn't have language 
around that necessarily, but both my grandfather and my dad would always teach me intention setting things. So for example, my granddad, I used to have migraines when I was a child. I still do, but I used to have very horrible ones by the roundabout puberty, you know? And um, he used to say that even in World War II, he would think his pain away. So he would spend time with me showing me how to think my migraines away. And it actually worked. Okay. For years, I would do that when I was living at home with him. And then my father, because I was pretty decent at sports and, you know, my father was always into visualization. And so he used to do all these visualization exercises about say the positive thing you want. Now close your eyes, imagine it happening. You know, so like I was a pitcher, I used to play softball. So he'd be like, you know, imagine what it feels like, you know, when you walk out onto the mound, imagine what your body feels like when the perfect strike is thrown, imagine what it feels like to win the championship, you know, all these things. And then we'd put all this language around it. He'd make me write it down. And then I'd have to close my eyes and visualize it. So I grew up with people who actually had these practices in their daily life. They just didn't call it what we call it now and, you know, hadn't read Wayne Dyer, although I don't think Wayne Dyer's book was out then. And, you know, (laughs) so, yeah, you know what I mean? So I think I come from a tradition of people who always use these things as part of their resilience. And so I guess I was a little bit born with it and then just sort of went back to it, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does, because even, you know, when you read Edgar Casey and his story, I mean, he was doing, he was a sleeping prophet in his youth, and it wasn't until he was older than he became, you know, he realized his abilities and the things he was able to do. So sometimes we're doing things, you know, all our lives, but then it takes yes. an experience or it takes a certain awakening before we go, ah, now that's what I'm doing. But we have really been doing it for years. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, you know, with intuition, too, and people who are seers. Like, I come from a long line of family of that, too, and no one ever talked about it. But, you know, yeah. And then when you decide you have your awakening moment or your light bulb moment, you decide to actually openly embrace that which you've always sort of known, been taught, you know. So, yeah, it was it was a going it felt like a going back home. But in some ways it was very radical because, you know, you leave a corporate career to go open a wellness center and, you know, start doing all this holistic stuff. And people who've been in your life for a long time kind of go, what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what? So, you know. Did they do the sanity check? Did they have to check and see if you were still in your right mind? Yeah, you know, because they're like, well, there's not much money in that. And you were doing so well, you know, all those limited belief things, right? And really, you know, those people in our lives who love us when we're making a major life change like that, that has some financial realities to it, you know, they say those things out of their own fear for us because they love us. You know, they don't mean it necessarily in a bad way. But, yeah, there were some sanity check people like, what? But you're so good at that corporate (laughs) stuff. I was like, I am and thank you. But, you know, I'm meant to do more. You know, I'm just meant to do more. Yes. So you actually opened your own holistic health center. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I did. So I quit my consulting life and I was with my, my next husband and he was lived in the middle of nowhere in the small town in Connecticut. And I was like, I'm going to open a wellness center. You know, I'm from California. I've traveled all these places where alternative health and wellness centers are plentiful But, you know, in New England at the time, not so much. 
And I was like, you know, I'm going to find my tribe and do this. So, yeah, I leased a little building, and I put an ad on Craigslist and looking for practitioners and interviewed a bunch of people and kind of found my tribe and, you know, slowly but surely built a wellness center. Yeah. And it was kind of funny because the Reiki bit and the whole energy working spirituality bit, like I did learn that sometimes you have to um, educate communities slowly. You can't just like pull back the curtain right away. So, you know, the first round, there was a little bit of resistance behind energy work and some of this other more spiritual stuff, including a woman coming into my center asking me if I was a voodoo priestess and going into this whole thing. And I was like, whoa, 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 you know. So, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with being a voodoo priestess, of course. But, you know, it was definitely, you know what I mean? It was definitely like an insight into the, I've lived in D.C., I'd lived in like Boulder, Colorado, I'd been in, lived in California, so I'd lived in all these places before coming to small town New England where all these things for a couple of generations had been in sort of the general norm of what people knew existed. So to kind of be a pioneer of it, you know, that was a learning experience that sometimes you have to do like spoonfuls, you know, to educate people and then they try one thing and then they're open to the next thing. And so, yeah, that's how my center was built. And I met a lot of fabulous people doing that. So it was wonderful, but it was a learning experience in many ways. And what, what learning experiences do tell? (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn from that experience? Well, I'm a go big or go home person. Okay. So I was like, Mm -hmm. Hey, If you build it, they'll come. I got all these great practitioners, of course, who had all trained in other places and lived other places. Only one person, I think, was from the community I opened the center in. I had never before that, like, lived in any kind of place where most of the people were from that place. Because, you know, like D.C., it's like everybody's from everywhere. Southern California, a lot of people from lots of places. You know, Colorado, lots of people from lots of places as well as there. So I was always used to, I think, my my own limited worldview was, hey, everybody's used to people from other places coming in and just joining their community and it's all good. And in the beginning, it wasn't so all good. (laughs) But, you know, once they realized that I wasn't there to upset anybody's apple cart and, you know, that um, what we were doing was to help the community and it didn't mean that you had to throw out any other traditions. It just meant you could also maybe incorporate these other modalities and what you were traditionally doing. And then everybody could be healthier and happier and filled with more joy. Then it slowly got better. But yeah, those were the learning experiences that not that change is not like I'm kind of a change junkie and most people aren't like most people change of any kind scares them a bit. So, you know, that was my learning experience. Okay, so that was your holistic health center, but you also continue your coaching, TL coaching. I do, I do. So now I continue my coaching practice. I was um, lucky enough to be able to sell my center to a practitioner, so my baby got a good home, and that's still operating. I'm just no longer the owner the last few years. So now I run TL coaching, I do coaching, and then I also launched um, Zen Events and zenevents.net, and that is where I've partnered with – um, a person who's a world-class business strategist, and we started combining, creating retreat programs that combine all the holistic and spirituality things that I do and personal coaching stuff with, for small business owners and wellness practitioners, um, the business stuff around business strategy and planning, but from like a life of service, you're pursuing your passion as your business kind of place. 
because I had noticed when I ran my wellness center that I spent half of my time literally every week as the owner of that center coaching these practitioners, whether they were experienced or new to their modality on how to be a business person and that lots of the things about the business of wellness and holistic health, they hadn't obviously been taught in their coaching program or their massage therapy school or whatever they took for their actual, you know, discipline that they're a practitioner of, and that the business stuff actually scared them a bit. So partnering with Ian, my partner in Zen Events, we've created a curriculum that actually, from a place of understanding of kind of both of those worlds and where they overlap. Okay, and what do, what do you teach them? Um, Lots of things. So first of all, um, it depends on the group, but usually the main thing is like, do you have a plan? You know, like from the business perspective, (laughs) do you have a business plan? And I know that sounds weird, but lots of people launch businesses, particularly us holistic alternative types without a plan, not knowing how to market, not even knowing we need to market, like, you know, not just understanding the intricacies of running a business. But then we also do a lot of self-development, what I call kind of soul level work. And that's sort of my coaching side of it, of the, you know, when you're pursuing something that really you feel is your calling, you know, that if you're a spiritual person, like this is what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to serve the universe. Like that is a much uh, heavier, it feels like a much heavier um, situation to people than when your business is just your business but not your passion. So we talk a lot about how you can take care of yourself, self-care practices while you're doing that, how also that just because you're in a holistic helping field doesn't mean that your services don't have true market value like other services do. So there's a lot of releasing of limiting beliefs and working on setting intentions around that because I also have found that many holistic practitioners, myself included, when I first started, you know, when you do your service you provide is something that's ethereal, um, hard to kind of describe sometimes and isn't like, hey, I make iPhones, you know what I mean? Um, Sometimes we think that it's not as valuable or we let society help us feel like maybe it's not as valuable as some other things that are more tangible. And so I work a lot with them on figuring out what the market value for their service is and actually truly believing that you can actually have a financially abundant life serving other people. And, of course, we do all these things in beautiful in beautiful locations. So our next retreats are starting in April, and they're at a beautiful private villa in the Bahamas in Eleuthera. So people get to spend, you know, two-thirds of their time working with us. They get massage and meditation every day. And then they get to spend a third of the time relaxing, zoning out, touring wherever we are, and just, you know, relaxing. So we try to have a good mix of downtime versus, you know, self-development and learning and group sharing time. Absolutely. We want to talk a little bit more about the retreats and also the power of intention. But before we do that, we are going to stop for a brief commercial break and we will be right back. Essential oils. Everyone is talking about it. With so many options, you want what works best for you. At Path to Perfect Health, we make your life easier. Our essential oil blends are made to target the issues you're dealing with. We have been promoting health and wellness with our products for over three decades. Visit pathtoperfecthealth.com today and find out how essential oils can help you be healthy. Use the code WELCOME to save $5 on your first order. 
Do you have questions regarding your business, marketing, career, finances, or love? Then there's just one place to go, AskSharifa.com. Her workshops and readings get you the help and understanding you need. Sharifa Hardy has the power and insight to unlock all of your problems with amazing results that are unmatched by others. Visit AskSharifa.com today. With over 20 years of experience working with clients in the areas of business and spirituality, she understands your needs. Her compassion is second to none. Schedule your private reading right now. Stop worrying about what your future holds. Get the answers you need today. That's AskSharifa.com. Will you fall in love? Is your career the correct choice? Are your finances in order? Get all the answers now. Give us a call right now at 562-822-0965 or visit us on our website at Ask. Sharifa.com. That's ask S H A R I F A H.com. When you need an expert plumber, you need Jordansruder.com. Get free estimates, 24 hour service, special discounts for seniors and veterans. That's Jordansruder.com. Have a home repair or some remodeling you need done? No problem. We can handle all that too. Give us a call today at 800 300 0358. At Jordans Ruder, we take pride in our work and always make sure to get the job done right the first time. That's Jordansruder.com. We want to be your or Mr. Fix-It. Are you dealing with a health issue and looking for natural solutions, but honestly aren't sure where to start? I can help. My name is Sandy Chastine, and I'm a holistic health coach. I use a combination of lifestyle transformation tools, including nutrition coaching, the use of essential oils, and basic metaphysical energy healing techniques to help clients discover the connection between their emotional and physical health and take action to heal and get back into balance. I love collaborating with other holistic practitioners to support my clients and lead a variety of events and classes across Orange County, California. Not local? That's okay. I'm available via Zoom and just a click away. Find me at www.sandychastine.com or give me a call at 949-439-7759. I can help you get started, so give me a buzz and let's get you on the road to wellness. If you are just now tuning in to Ask Sharifa AMA, you have missed out on the first 30 minutes of the show, and you definitely want to listen to it from the top. Listen to Ask Sharifa AMA with special guest Torin Lee in the archives. If you're listening to this on the Internet and you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to give us a call at 563-999-3603. Again, that number is 563-999-3603. And to join the conversation, please press 1. And again, we have Torin Lee in the studio today, and we're going to discuss the power of intention. So, Torin, tell us, what is YES, the power of intention? So, YES is our acronym that stands for Your Empowered Self that I created a few years back with some partners. And basically, um, how that goes along with the power of intention is if you can learn how to use the power of intention, then it will help you empower yourself in your life. So, I always start with, you know, there's 
seven essential steps to learning how to set an intention, right? So the first is you need to release or let go of limited beliefs, as we talked about a little bit before, you know, and your mind is a powerful thing. So your intention is your reality. So if the script and the story that you're telling yourself is a negative one and not a positive one, we want to release all of that. So there are ways to um, release limiting beliefs. You know, sometimes you do it in actual ceremonial, like physical sense, which I find is really, really great for people, you know, so you think about what has been holding you back, whatever it might be. So, you know, for years, something that I worked with my own coach on that was one of my limiting beliefs was you can't be as financially successful doing helper healer, you know, wellness professions as you can doing corporate work. So she had me write my limiting belief on a piece of paper. And then we literally, literally had a little ceremony and like burnt it. I've had other people where like they've written it on Alka-Seltzer tablets and watch it fizz away in a bowl, you know, and that's their version of physically representing releasing their limited beliefs. So step one is define and then let go of or release your limiting beliefs. Step two is, you know, be clear and do some thoughts about, you know, what you actually want. So before you set your next intention, like have it clear in your mind what you actually really want. You know, not what you think you should want, which lots of us are sometimes victims to what you think you should want, but what you truly in your heart and soul want for yourself. And then you get to state it, write it down, state it. Um, the next fit, the next step is after we do that, I have people sort of visualize, you know, kind of like I shared my father used to do with me for sports outcomes. It, visualization works for anything that you're trying to accomplish, right? So if your intention is to, I don't know, be healthier, you know, visualize with all of your senses, imagine what your new healthy body will look like smell like, feel like, move like, you know, all of using all of your senses. And then try to repeat that sort of every morning as your homework. The next thing is, you know, take action, right? So what are you going to do to actually make this intention become a reality? Um, I also then go to don't forget to celebrate the coincidences in life because I believe there are no true coincidences. So, you know, I find once my clients set their new intention and start visualizing it, all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh, this just happened. Can you believe that? I just set my intention that I was going to be able to, you know, fund my kid's college next semester, and I had no idea how, and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden I got this check in the mail from someone. I'm like, yeah, there are no coincidences. Um, so, you know, make sure you celebrate and honor and give gratitude for the coincidences that are supporting your new intention that you set. And as part of that, I also say, you know, kind of the sixth step is put your intention out on the street. You know, my grandmother used to say, like, put it out on the street, you know, into the universe. Like, if this is what you're planning on doing and what you want to accomplish, like, tell everybody about it. That's part of helping the universe and other people's energy know and work on your intention with you, right? So for those who pray and are religious, you know, it's the same thing as sort of like the power of prayer, right? When people are praying in groups or they have a prayer circle, all of a sudden it feels like things are magnified and tend to happen faster. Well, the same thing is true, right, with setting an intention. you got to put it out on the street and tell people about it, and they can also then put energy towards your intention with you. 
And then the final step is practice, 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 because, you know, you have to exercise your intention-setting muscles. And so the more you practice setting positive intentions for yourself, then the easier it will become. And then I always say to my clients, you know, uh, your mind is a garden, your thoughts are seeds, you can grow flowers, or you can choose to grow weeds. So I tell my clients, stop watering the weeds, you know, (laughs) so part of becoming empowered, right, and setting a powerful intention is you got to identify the weeds in your gardens, which are those limiting beliefs, right, and just stop watering them. Stop watering them. Start planting seeds of positivity, right, and abundance, and water those and pay attention to those, and then your garden will become filled with flowers, and the garden, which is your life, you know, body, mind, and spirit. So that's the work I do with people around intention. And although it sounds in that three or four minutes that it's, it's easier said than done, but once you get the hang of it, it actually becomes part of who you are, sort of like a meditation practice, right? Right. So let me ask you, um, does this only work for certain people? Um, I would say it can work for everybody if they're willing to be open to it and believe that it has an opportunity or could work, right? So it's like everything else. Like, I don't know if that diet's going to work for me because I insert limiting beliefs of why not, right? But if you can flip your script or if I can even work with somebody to get them to the point of, I actually am open to trying that because what I've been trying hasn't worked, then yes, it works for them. But if you set a negative intention, (laughs) right, towards anything new that it's not going to work, then it probably will not. So it's sort of like that self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, with all things in life, you know. You know, faith and belief have a lot to do with lots of things. And many people who are world famous for many things, from Facebook to Dalai Lamas to all kinds of people, right, who we all look to as these grand successes and who have shared their stories and helped people, there were times in the beginning of their journeys where people were like, what? (laughs) You know, and they were like, nope, I have faith and belief that this is what I'm supposed to do. And so, you know, the power of setting a positive intention, the power of intention. And sometimes you have to believe in things before others can see that it can be possible, but your belief in it and then taking action on it, then it becomes possible. So it starts with being open to the possibility. Mm, Definitely. Because sometimes people say, oh, well, that only works for you know, certain people or certain people have that ability or certain people have that gift and they don't see or understand how it will work for them. So I just wanted to make it clear that it's not just, as they say, for the sexy people or the special people that you are able to work with just about anyone if they have the belief and the um, the will to work with you. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit of openness. I just need a crack. You know, like, yeah, I've opened my window a little bit, and I'm letting the breeze in, and you're part of the breeze, and we'll see. Just a little bit of crack in the window. You know, and I I love, um, speaking to that point, I love this quote by James Baldwin, who he always, uh, he said that your crown has already been bought and paid for. All you need to do is put it on. And I love that quote because it speaks to what you were just saying. The good life 
a fulfilling, wonderful life, body, mind, and spirit, a happy life, a joy-filled life, is absolutely everybody's right, destiny, intention of the creator and the universe for you to have. Because you exist, you are worthy of that. And that's what that quote speaks to to me. So that is what I try to use all of these tools to get people to truly understand is that just because your soul is here, you are worthy and deserving. Mm. Just put the crown on, right? Just put the crown on. I love it. I love it. Just put the crown on. You heard it here on Ask Sharifa AMA. Put the crown on. And so are some the are these some of the things that people learn through your Zen events? Yes, it is. These are some of the things that they learn when they go on retreats with us. These are things they learn as my coaching client. Yeah, you know, and it's just, I, I basically just say that I'm a believer in humanity. I'm a believer in the interconnectedness of all of us. And I believe that the more of us that are living our passion, our joy, our bliss, are wearing our universally given crowns by birthright, um, the better place this world will be. So that's why I do the work I do. Mm-hmm. And I believe we so what, all were meant to be a teacher, right? So the healthier we are as individuals, the more we're ready, able to figure out what our passion is, what we're supposed to be teaching others. And I have many teachers, including many of my clients, end up teaching me many, many things about myself, about life. So, you know, it's definitely always a two-way street. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've learned from your clients? Um, the main one that I've learned lately that keeps coming back is that um, there are people who, and this may sound like one that's like, duh, but for me it was like it keeps coming back, which means I'm supposed to really, you know, when lessons keep coming back, it's like, oh, spirit's trying to tell you to make sure you really got this one. Um, that on the surface or the outside, someone's life can seem like it's wonderful and perfect, but really most of us are like icebergs, right? And most of what's going on is well below the surface. And so in these very trying for many people around the country, you know, economic, economic and political times, I have had lots of clients come into my practice lately who on just the surface and the initial consultation, you know, they have good jobs, they have plenty of economic resources, but they have had to um, walk paths that are very difficult and they've done them sort of very in silence and out of shame and that the difficulty of their journey is no different than someone who has the other types of difficulties like social economic that are more um, easily seen, let's say. Sometimes more difficult journeys are the ones that people feel they have to hide out of shame because they feel like they shouldn't be having those difficulties. So it's very interesting. You know, we all have these twisting paths and somewhere along the lines, we all need somebody to, you know, hold a torch at the end of it and be like, just keep walking towards the light. And so that's what I try to teach people to do for themselves, but also for others. Like sometimes all you're supposed to do is just stand at the end of the cave and just hold the light, right? Just hold space and hold the light. Oh, wow. And I've, been, wow. and I've been fortunate, and I've had many people in my life who've held the light for me that in hindsight I didn't realize that was, that's what they were doing. But, you know, we all need somebody periodically to just hold the light for us. Mm. So when your clients um, go to TL Coaching, 
to Torinlee.com, to your website, and take part in your coaching sessions. How long are your sessions, or not just for that day, but usually how long do your clients work with you? Um, Anywhere from three months to three years. (laughs) I know that sounds like a long time, but, you know, some of my clients, like the ones that have been with me two and three years, they've unfortunately had a lot of things keep happening in their life, right? But Mm -hmm. they've grown and developed and gotten better at handling those things. So let's say maybe instead of doing weekly sessions, now those people, I see them once a month, right, via phone, and we just do check-ins and make sure their tools are still working for them and, you know, give them a little pick-me-up. And then, you know, I have people who only see me while they're, let's say, a couple who are mediating a divorce. And I've had a couple of those, and it's been three months, and they've gone on, and I get a Christmas card from them, and life is great. You know, so it really depends. Um, I've done a lot of work the last few years with uh, families who have adult or older teenage children who are on the autism spectrum. And so that's been very interesting work for me and a huge learning experience because, you know, that's not an area of my specialty. It's just families that have come to me. So that's been a whole new and interesting challenge as well. And, you know, um, people on the spectrum, they're so fascinating to me. Like their, their brains are so fascinating. Um, how they process and perceive the world is so fascinating. Um, as well as, you know, my current two clients who were like now both around 20 with their families that I see that are um, Asperger's and on the spectrum, they are so intelligent, but also their level of intuition is like heightened. It's like hypersensitive without them even having to like be in a place to channel it or direct it. So I know that you deal with spiritual stuff, Sharifa, you know, and like visions and intuition and being a medium and that kind of thing. And, you know, I know some of us, like my intuition, I have to sort of be present and usually it happens for me with clients when I'm working on them in like a Reiki or an energy setting, you know, then I can get messages and stuff like that. But I'm not one of those conduits that's always going. Like I have a couple of my clients who are on the spectrum that like that's part of the gift of that, I guess, that most people don't recognize. Their level of intuition is like incredible, incredible. They can sit in my waiting room and then they'll come in and tell me like what other people in the room are feeling. And then that client comes in next and that's what that client talks to me about. It's been a fascinating journey with those clients. Fascinating. Wow, that's an aspect that I wouldn't have even imagined showed up in your um, coaching. But I know on past Asharifa AMA shows, we discussed Asperger's syndrome and the benefits of meditation. So this obviously is another area that comes out. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of usually like Reiki with my Asperger's clients because, you know, energy balance for them and how to moderate that is like key. But yeah, so we usually do integrative sessions, but yeah, that part was fascinating, you know? So I always remind people that, you know, whatever society has labeled as your challenge, you know, um, there's always a gift in there. There are always gifts in there. And that is something that I found to be a remarkable gift for those of my clients. I'm like, wow, it's just remarkable. Mm, having a coach such as yourself, I'm sure is re- remarkable for them as well, because it's difficult being misunderstood and being labeled and not being able to find any type of assistance. So when they find someone they're able to work with and to actually see their abilities and not any of their weaknesses is a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you for that. Well, I just, I ready? I open my door and whoever's standing in front of it, I just honor the fact that I'm honored that they chose 
to partner with me, and I honor that spirit sent them to me. So I try to just honor that and do the best I can do by them. Okay. Now, what are you seeing as far as the change in society as far as more and more people opening up to the spiritual aspects, whether in meditation or counseling? Because you're seeing more people within the corporate world as well as more schools. It was an article that was um, going around social media a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it but schools were adapting meditation in order to work with some of their more hyper um, students. Um, What are your thoughts as far as the mainstream adapting more spiritual aspects? I think that it's fabulous, and I think it's time is past due, and I think the reason we are seeing that starting to occur is because we're at a tipping point, right? We definitely are as a species. You know, so many things have gotten to a point where many people just feel despair. And sometimes out of like despair and fear, people crack that window open or are willing to open the door to try new things that they wouldn't if everything was going okay. So I feel like that's the silver lining in the current turmoil that we're in globally and particularly in this country is that I've seen lots of people. I mean, even in my practice, I've seen people that have been like, I don't want to talk about energy work. I don't know what Reiki is. Don't be talking to me about anything that's not, you know, normal stuff that I'm used to in their terms that now have been like, I would like to try that. I know nothing about it, but I would like to try that because I want to try something because something has to change. So I feel like our collective energy as a species, we're at this tipping point where it's like what we have been doing is not working for most people anymore. So it's time to not really look to the new. I mean, because you and I both know we're looking to like ancient wisdom. All this stuff has been going on for thousands of years in just different pockets of the world. And I think it's wonderful that there's now been a new sort of awakening or an openness towards it, because I think truly the combination of whatever your personal combination of all these different modalities are, that's what's going to help us all heal if we're all using those so we're balanced body, mind, and spirit, and then we can actually move to forward together from a peaceful, open place where you can actually have conversations and dialogues about difficult problems that we need to fix as a species and as a country even, and we can do that from a place of honor and respect. But to be able to do that, we all have to start from ourselves being healthy and balanced, and many of us are not yet. But if they work with Torn Lee, they can help. You can help them to become balanced. Well, yeah, you know, and there are many, many people like me, you know. So I always say, yes, call me, email me. If I have an initial consultation, which all my initial consultations are free, you know, for 15 minutes. And if I know somebody, I know practitioners all over the world. If I know somebody who I'm like, you know, I think Sharice is the one for you because I think you need to hear from your ancestors and you're missing that connection to be able to move forward. You know, I believe we all sort of help each other by making sure we guide people towards the um, practitioner who might be best for them at any given time. So I'm always partnering with other practitioners to help people get what they really need if it's something that I can't provide for them. Mm. So, yeah. But you you know, you also do intuitive healing. I do. I do. So that's I remember the first show of yours I heard a few months ago. Um, you would talk about how it took you a while to actually fess up to that. <laughs> um, to like, you're yes. like, yeah, 
So I don't call myself a psychic or a medium. I do have heightened, I call myself a, an intuitive healer. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, when I work with people, particularly when I do energy work with them, I do always usually get messages um, for them. And that was one of my funny stories too, was when I first had finished my Reiki training, I went and I volunteered. So I go to this, it's, um, you know, one of those transitional living places, but it was a big complex. So they had like people who lived on their own and then people who were in nursing home care, you know, towards the end of life. So they had this wellness fair, please come. We want to provide Reiki. Okay. So I go, I'm very excited, finished my master's certificate. It's the first time I feel like I'm doing this in a professional capacity. And this person sits down, I work on them and I start getting all these pictures in my mind and I'm like, "Uh Oh, what's happening? What's happening? So then when she goes, Oh, that's nice. I feel much better. I say, This is what I say to her, literally. I said, I got a picture of your stomach, and your stomach had a big black mark in it, and it looked like it was sick, like a cartoon character's stomach. Um, Are you having any health problems right now? The lady breaks out into tears. She's a nurse. She shouts at me. She said, how could you possibly know that? I just got diagnosed with stomach cancer two days ago. I haven't even told my husband. And she gets up and runs out of the room. Oh, wow. that was that was my lesson in um, you need to honor whether or not people want the information that you're getting. So, of course, now, you know, many years later, I always ask people before I work on them. I explain sometimes I get messages for you or about you when I work on you with an energy from an energy perspective. Would you like to know the information or the messages? And then they get to choose as they should, yes or no. Most of them say yes, and then afterwards I tell them. But, yeah, you know, so gifts always need fine-tuning, I'm sure, as you know. So, yes, yes, I do do intuitive sessions with people, but I only now provide messages if I'm given permission to do so because I am just a messenger. They need to want the message, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I had an experience like that um, recently where I was out and I was um, just visiting and all of a sudden the the messages came through and one of them was somebody had passed on and I just blurted out, somebody just died, you know, it was just like out the blue, you know, it's like, okay, wait a minute, you know, because it just came through and sometimes there isn't any filter, even though you have to be kind of, you have to be sensitive of, um, yeah, the information that that comes through, and it turned out that someone had passed away the day before that the person was very close to, and um, I didn't ask, but it's just like the information, a lot of information was coming through at the time. So I definitely can understand, and I definitely can relate. So Torin, this has been a, a wonderful hour. We've learned so much from you. Um, but one of the things that I like to do at the end of every show is to allow my guests the opportunity to reiterate or repeat anything that you definitely want our listeners to take away from the show, or if there was anything that we haven't had the opportunity to mention, to go ahead and, and mention it in this show. Um, I just wanted to mention that I do see clients when I'm in California about once a month in person at the Impart Wisdom and Wellness Center in Tustin. So if you're a West Coast person who's looking to engage with me, not virtually, but wants to actually meet me in person, um, I will actually be at that office next week. And on February 25th, I'm going to kind of host a meet and greet and a mini sort of, 
a mini intention shop, so how to set power of intention mini workshop. So that will be on my website, or you can contact me and learn more about that later today. And, you know, I work with people virtually, and if you have of if you just have been having trouble and you just don't know which direction to go in, I'm just really good at helping you figure out what your next move is and how to move forward. And that's, well, that's sometimes pretty much what that's I what do. you need. Sometimes and remember, that's what we don't need. water yeah, and remember don't water the weeds. Only water the flowers in your garden. Don't water the weeds. That's right. Yes. Don't water the weeds, only water the flowers in the garden. That's definitely wonderful words of advice. Now, the Zen events, you also have some Zen events that are coming up shortly. Yes. Um, April, the week of April 16th, we have a woman's retreat in the Bahamas. And then the following week, we have a small business owner's retreat. So if you go to zenevents.net, you can learn more about those that information and also the phone number on both of my sites is my direct cell phone number for business. So you can text me as well or just leave me a voice message and I'm actually the person who will get back to you. There won't be like a random person. It will actually be me. <laughs> so, Torin, have you ever considered stand-up? You know, people say that. <laughs> people have told me that. I'm serious. Maybe in your next meditation, you might want to meditate on that. You are funny. You are really funny. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I think when you're working with people, part of the your abilities is the gift of you know humor. You know that's what they say. Um, laughter is the best medicine. So you lift their spirits, you lift their energy, and you help them carry some of their burdens. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, humor works for me. So maybe, maybe that's part of it, you know, but I find, yeah, you're right. I mean, life can be entirely too serious. Like you got to be able to laugh at yourself and just laugh at things. Cause you know, like shit happens, man. <laughs> and it's some of it, some of it you couldn't make up. You could not make up. Like I could tell you a story about, are we still on the air? Oops. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> like, oh, I could tell you a story about, so my father ended up having emergency heart surgery over Christmas. He's fine, but it was a traumatic thing, right, for our family and not expected and all those things you go through as a family. So I fly out to California. All this stuff is happening. And, like, in the middle of it, just things that you can't make up, my mother, my dad's in ICU. My mom, like, can't take it anymore. And she goes, I need you to take me to take the cat to the vet. And I'm, like, looking at my mother, and I'm, like, we're taking the cats to the vet? Yes, because otherwise they won't get an appointment for a month. So it's, A, kind of weird how when we're in crisis, we try to normalize, right? So I knew from my psych training, she just needs to do something normal, right, after four days of sitting with my dad. So we get in the car. We're taking these cats of hers to the vet, and we turn the corner, and my mom's like, don't let the cat container fall over. I put my hand back there, and the cat pees all over me in the car. <laughs> and my mother and I, who hadn't laughed in three days, start crying, we are laughing so hard. So, you know, you have to be able, even when things are really desperate and weird, right, and everybody's out of sorts, to find the humor in things, you know? So I could just have kissed that cat at that point because we just needed to laugh again, and so we Mm -hmm. got to laugh. Even though I was covered in cat pee, we got to laugh. So, you know, like, 
Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story because now we got to laugh as well. And people always tell me, I remember one friend telling me, she said, Sharifa, you have such an interesting life. And I always say, my life is not more interesting than anyone else's. It's just the way I tell it. So thank you for telling and sharing <laughs> your story with us today, Torin. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. If anyone has missed any aspect of today's show, you definitely want to listen to this show from the top of the hour because we share so much information. We share laughs. We share stories. Um, We even talked about how Torin had a boat fall on her head. So if you missed any aspect of today's show, you want to listen to it in the archives. Make sure you don't just listen to the show. Share it with a friend and let everyone know about Ask Sharifa, A-M-A. Ask us anything. Ask me anything. Ask our guests anything live on the air. We will be back tomorrow, same time on Wednesday, for a very special Valentine's episode To be a guest or for advertising information, visit our website at AskSharifa.com.